WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, the Upfront program for this um, Wednesday morning. Uh, we've got a couple of segments on our program. We're going to talk uh, current events, Blackstone, and we'll uh, talk um, revolutionary history in the second half of the program. Dan Keefe has uh, joined us this morning, selectman from the town of Blackstone. Uh, school committee, too? Yes, sir. How yes. does that happen? Uh, welcome to the program, Dan. Thank you. Uh, good. So you're a selectman and a school committee member. Uh, is that uh, something un- unusual, or or did you get elected to both posts? I was. I stepped in uh, last year uh, uh, to be elected for a vacancy that was unfilled on the school committee, and that that expires next year. Um, and then in in the time between, I ran for selectman and was successful you were successful and uh when um you uh, you did some advertising uh and uh and i know that uh, you said um boy i i really want to win this win this seat on the board of selectmen and then when you won it and i talked to you uh you were like uh jubilant uh, this is something you really wanted uh, i don't know if it was uh, maybe uh uh, you know, you felt like you were vindicated or something. Uh, what, what, what was your feeling uh, when the, the votes came in and you were returned to the Board of Selectmen in Blackstone? Uh, uh, overwhelming gratefulness for the, <clears throat> the voters of Blackstone and their confidence in me. And, and um, you know, it's just a community that uh, I've been first in my family, born and bred in. And, uh, and I've always had a, a place in my heart to give back to the community that, that gave so much to me. You know, growing up in the town. We're doing an interview um, with uh, Dan now. Normally, um, we might call on the um, town administrator, like we have the mayor here in the studio uh, every uh, two weeks or so, uh, mayor of the city of Woonsocket. If something is going on in in Lincoln, we'd call in the uh, town administrator. Wait a minute there. Uh, Who's running? Who's who's in town hall? As your town administrator right now, uh, currently we have an interim town administrator, uh-huh. um, which is the former chief of police, um, and we are currently out advertising for a permanent town administrator. So uh, that uh, now uh, that is a professional position, right? Uh, uh, as opposed to a political. I mean, it's, the person is not elected. There's going to be uh, interviews and and so forth. And I see that in Massachusetts where. Uh, they hire administrators for for cities and towns to to run the place, um, and in Rhode Island, so many of them are are elected. Uh, apparently, you're you're comfortable with um, professional administrators. Yeah, our form of government um, allows for the board of selectmen to hire a town administrator who who is at the direction of the board of selectmen. For example, North Smithfield will have a hired town administrator uh sorry elected town administrator uh but that's a town council uh different from different form of government they don't have town meeting mm-hmm. and and things like that so it's it's all part of the election process when do you when do you think this new administrator will be named uh, are there a lot of applicants or do some of the applicants say hey things are a little bit too hot in the town of blackstone for me well i think that may be <clears throat> an issue moving forward but um the application the the we hired a company, uh, MRI, who, who um, more or less a headhunting company. That, that's, so the, the process has really just begun as far as getting the advertising out there. And so I, I, I would guess in the next, if I had to guess, I'd say by October, uh, the latest, we'll probably have a, an administrator in place. Dan Keefe is with us, board of uh, Selectman Town of Blackstone, and we're just going to review a few of the issues uh, going on in Blackstone. Uh, the Valley Breeze does a decent job of uh, covering uh, Blackstone, and then you have a, a, a publication in Blackstone that uh, uh, also uh, covers some stuff. But we're going to cover some of the things that we've paid attention to from your neighboring community of Woonsocket. And uh, one of the things, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to take these in an order of uh, when we were covering them. Of course, uh, the passing of one of your elder statesmen in uh, the town of Blackstone. 
And uh, I'm sure you want to comment on the passing of John Eldridge. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, John, uh, Mr. Eldridge is, uh, he's been a fixture in Blackstone for, well, as long as I've been alive anyhow. And, and um, he contributed in so many ways on so many different boards, including, you know, chairman of the, the board of selectmen and uh, selectmen, as well as chairman of the school committee for many years and school committee member. Pretty much, he's, he, um, the parade parade committee he took a lot, a great deal of pride. Mr. Eldridge was a veteran, um, and um, you know, Mr. Eldridge was a, a staunch uh, advocate for the town of Blackstone, whether you agreed with him or not. And mm -hmm. and um, I had some great experiences with Mr. Eldridge, including but not limited to the Woonsocket wastewater host fee. If you remember that from a few years ago, I do. So. Uh, but Mr. Eldridge was the type of guy where you could, you know, I, I remember he wasn't, he wasn't feeling well for some time, but I, I remember talking about the host fee. We drove around town for a couple of hours just talking and, and, and going to that town meeting. Mr. Eldridge and I were on the same, same exact page with the host fee, and we completely disagreed on removing the recycling from the enterprise to general government. And we, we agreed, you know, in, in step completely in line with each other on the host fee and we battled each other on the uh, uh, on the recycling and, and you know at the end of the meeting there's still a great deal of respect so he will be truly missed um, and it's, a, it's a, a big loss for the town of Blackstone Alright, um, one of the things that I um, I mentioned uh, to you uh, well, sometimes I see you at the bank or wherever I see you in, uh, in our travels we run across each other and sometimes I see you um, right in the parking lot of uh, the former parking shop market in Blackstone. And that thing uh, has been hanging around for a long time since um, Mr. Kevin Meehan departed the building and left it uh, vacant. The bank's still there. Subway's still there. But uh, it's been kind of quiet. And then a proposal comes along from a Bellingham um, business person. And it doesn't fly in... Uh, in the town of uh, Blackstone, on I, um, I was even suspicious of it myself. I didn't really care for the way that that um, proposal was uh, put together. Tell, tell us a little bit about why the parking shop supermarket, and well, supermarket slash liquor store thing was turned away. <clears throat> well, it was originally presented, uh, my understanding, to the people of Blackstone on a Facebook post through a citizen's petition, um, which for a special town meeting, the, the requirement for a citizen's petition is much uh, much less to get a, a warrant article on a special town meeting. Um, and the citizen's petition was um, strictly f to direct the, the legislative body, which is the people at town meeting, to direct the board of selectmen to petition on behalf of the petitioner, the state legislature, for a third full liquor license in the town of Blackstone. Um, so that's all we had in front of us. No one presented it to the Board of Selectmen or in any other official capacity other than at the special town meeting. Uh, based on what I learned in the Valley Breeze as he was looking to uh, use 10,000 square foot feet of the building, uh, which the Valley Breeze said was better than half of the building, which actually the building is 21,290 square feet, so it's less than half. And as I looked further, the current liquor store that he owns in Bellingham, the total square footage is 9,600 square feet, and I don't see any groceries other than lemons, limes, and maybe some pickled eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I just think... There was no guarantee to the town of Blackstone that a grocery store or a market was going in there. And I think if that amount of the space was taken, um, we would have never seen another grocery store going in there uh, after that. Did you uh, get a lot of um, comments from constituents uh, on, on this or um, did you pretty much just sense that there was uh, some... Uh suspicion about uh, the proposal well i was suspicious myself and i was a candidate at the time when it when it came out so i actually uh i stayed relatively quiet on the on this i just did did my own homework and 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 you know in my opinion if you wanted if if you really wanted to have a grocery store in there um the 
that could have been done, and the Board of Selectmen within a week's time would have issued a beer and wine license, and and then moving forward, if he wanted to petition for the full liquor license, we could have done that through the through the regular chain of command. Tell me, um, what is uh, in your? I don't know how, how much you can say about this, but what is the issue with that? Uh, that building is it owned by some people? Uh, um, I just I was told it was owned by a couple of sisters uh, from uh, uh, you know from from uh, a Boston suburb, and uh, they you know they're not too um, uh, active in trying to uh, market that place. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, it is owned by a you know a, a, a company. Uh, I believe it's a couple of family members out of out of I believe they're out of Waltham. Um, I can't speak for um, what their motivation is. Um, what I can tell you is what, what uh, you know, of course we want to see it filled. It's, it helps the surrounding businesses and, and things like that. But the town is not losing out. They are paying their taxes. They're paying the same amount of property or real estate tax that they, whether it would be full or not. We, we would be losing out a little bit on personal property taxes, such as cash registers and freezes and things like that. But... Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know what the motivation is, and 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 why uh, it's been vacant. You know, for it's been vacant a couple, uh, probably two years now. You'd like to see it filled, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, so would I, because um, you know, again, as a Woonsocket resident, that was a mighty convenient store to um, to go to, and um, and Blackstone really doesn't have anything like it. Uh, since it left, um, I mean, you can still get your liquor at those two liquor stores, but um, as uh, beer and wine, um, you know, they had beer and wine in the store, but um, but it's uh, tough to find the, the groceries. And uh, it was also a compact store. Did, did you use the store by I yourself? I did, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, sorry to see, uh, see that uh, not filled yet. Um, Rathbun Street. Again, this is another issue uh, that uh, I think when Socket... Uh, People, folks can understand, we have um, a property on Social Street, All Saints Parish. It's a church, and, um, and it was uh, it merged with another parish. The building uh, is now empty. City of Woonsocket buys it under another administration. Uh, maybe it's turned it into a public safety complex. Uh, the mayor comes back into office. She says, I want it somewhere else. The city council last night had a special meeting to resell the property to private developers. So abandoned, for lack of a better term, abandoned church properties are all over the place. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, because churches are consolidating. And so now we have this church, St. Teresa's, in Blackstone on Rathbun Street and uh, yes or no? Uh, why didn't they? Uh, why didn't they want it? Give us the the Saint Teresa's background story, because um, r- right now there are other plans or other thoughts about it, right? Well, yeah, Saint Teresa's. I, I'm going to say came available maybe late August, early September last last year. Um, I was not on the board of selectmen, but I I talked to um, uh, the former chairman, Selectman Dubois. Um, uh, about the opportunity back then, um, and and um, so the town of Blackstone has since I first was elected um, back in 2015 has had a has had a room issue uh, with with the current municipal center um, or lack thereof, <clears throat> and and and. Before I was elected in 2013, the town allowed for a feasibility study that didn't take place until 2017. And, 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 and back then, you know, it was a public safety center uh, off-site and, and a rehabbing the town hall for a, a, a bigger senior center. Um, that failed because it was a total of $32 million. It never even made it to town meeting because there was no funding, no grants, and nothing available at the time. Um, and so, you know, fast forward, we, you know, the senior center was always takes up a lot of the space uh, at the municipal center. And, you know, fast forward to COVID, everything slowed down. And then after COVID, we have a, a new senior director and she's got a lot of programs and activities going on. And there's just clearly um, 
not not enough room um, at, at the municipal uh, center. Now, St. Teresa's, in my opinion, was a perfect opportunity uh, to alleviate uh, that issue as well as many other issues. St. Teresa's sits on four and a half acres. It, it's uh, the church building itself is in great condition. The, the older hall behind it is in relatively uh, good condition. Um, actually, one of the inspectors said it's even, for its age, it's even in better shape than the church. Um, and, and we have the uniqueness about St. Teresa's is it has, is commercial, sits on commercial and residential. So the town could have used it for many, many purposes. Um, including a, a senior center and, and, and for many other events like bring back the police explorers and uh, different programs like that. So it's, it's a shame that we lost that. We, the, the selectmen did a good job negotiating that price. The, the uh, appraisal was $2.6 million. Saint, the, the church, the diocese came down to $1.3 million. Um, uh, that was the town's appraisal and 1.37 million. But what people don't realize is that the the Blackstone's tax assessors, that the the private company that we have to assess these properties, that property is still valued at 2.9 million. And um, it was an opportunity to, that Blackstone really had an opportunity to jump on. And it's unfortunate uh, because it's that Millerville section of town, for the years I've grew up there and. For, for long until before I was even born, it's, it's just been under under representation over there, and, and it would have been a great opportunity um, to fill our future needs of expansion and growth in Blackstone. Can't always get your way, right? No, uh, right. <laughs> That's the democratic process. Um, describe um, uh, to our listeners uh, what you think um, the tone uh, of. Um, politics is in Blackstone. I can tell you what the tone is in Woonsocket, and it's always kind of, uh, uh, you know, you're fidgeting in your seat because uh, there's, um, you know, uh, there's a mayor and there's a council, and some of the council members side with the mayor and some don't, and and uh, sometimes it can get uh, kind of, uh, uh, shall we say, rambunctious. Uh, uh, how are things, uh, now that you're there, have things settled down? <laughs> Well, I can assure you that I'm not fidgeting. <laughs> okay. so, I can't speak for others, but I'm not fidgeting. Um, the, yeah, the, 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 the tone is, well, Blackstone, Woonsocket, North Smithfield. Mm -hmm. I, I say there's a lot of passion mm -hmm. in the politics. I like uh, that. Yeah, a lot of passion. So, and so... It, people have different ideas, and they they have different avenues that they want to take those ideas down. But um, um, I think the tone in this area is is very similar. And, and uh, yeah, the overall majority of the people that I serve with, whether it be on the board of selectmen, Parks and Recs, uh, Historical Commission, or the Library Board of Trustees, the majority of those people want to give back to their community. Uh, but you have the a handful of people that enjoy the control of of uh, of their positions, but um, it's I, I I think I bring a a wealth of knowledge back that was missing for the how you know about the how the charter and the bylaws work. Um, I know I get a lot of calls, and I've got a lot of calls even when I was off the board and questions on how things you know operate. Mm -hmm. and so I, I just enjoy contributing back. Dan Keefe is with us, Board of Selectmen in Blackstone, reviewing some of the issues. Here in Woonsocket, CVS, that's our big employer, and they pay a lot of taxes to the city of Woonsocket. Uh, do you have some big taxpayers in Blackstone, or do you depend on small business and, and residential properties, or do you have a biggie? We have a biggie, yeah. yeah. I knew that. Yeah, I, I know you did. <laughs> oh, can you tell me about that? Well, we have a couple of actual biggies, but uh -huh. um, uh, so we have the power plant, mm -hmm. and, and so they've... You know, that was negotiated back in the early 2000s, late 99, um, with the uh, former chairman of the Board of Selectmen that I just mentioned, uh, Selectman Dubor, and, um, um, and many people along the way. And we, rene we renegotiated that after 20 years. I was the chairman at the time and I want to say, 2019, uh, which was a $700,000 increase year over year. So it's a payment in lieu of taxes. So they, they're guaranteed to pay us. $2.7 million over the next, you know, over that 10-year span, uh, and plus other assessments um, 
you know, personal property that, you know, go along with that on top of that as well. Um, so we have, they, they uh, that money goes into a capital account. 10% of that money goes to offset taxes. The other 90% goes into a capital account, which would, we would then vote at town meeting for capital expenses, you know, such as a renovation to the town hall or St. Teresa's was going to come out of that. And we had the, the cash to pay for St. Teresa's, which is, again, part of the unfortunate circumstance. Two more questions uh, for you. Uh, one a selectman question, one a school committee question. So as a member of the Board of Selectmen, looking at the town of Blackstone overall, biggest issue confronting taxpayers, the town of Blackstone? <clears throat> the biggest issue confronting taxpayers? Uh, well, I think we need a little bit of stability um, in, in the... In, our, in the departments of the town of Blackstone, and 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 you know, currently we have the the you know the interim town administrator um, who's doing a fine job. He's but it's only you know you're only limited to what you're able to do there. There's a specific um, a job set up there where it's only 20 hours a week, and and um, and 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 you can only limit. I'm sure he works more than the 20 hours a week, um, but we also need like we're paying. The town of Menden right now is $75,000 a year for a shared fire chief, which I, you know, I, you know, nothing personal with, with, with how that, with the, with the gentleman doing the job, but it's, we have qualified, you know, people that are ready to step into that position. Um, and, you know, the, the, the shared chief is probably there less than a day a week. Um, and same thing, we have a building department where, uh, we're, we're using a we have a part-time commissioner that's probably in six hours a week so the, the, we're paying the full money on these things and and uh in my opinion you know it's my town as well as everyone else is in blackstone mm-hmm. that we should have the full representation of those offices so that's to start what that you know let's have you know a full complement of employees doing their job serving the public um and and we have a strong finance committee right now that is questioning a lot of things, which is a good thing. And I don't always agree with what they question, but I agree that they they question it. Um, uh, I shouldn't say I don't agree with what they question. I don't agree with some of their opinions, but I'm glad that they question it. But, you know, so those are the things that we need to work together on to keep actually the seniors in their homes. So filling positions in the town of Blackstone and rounding out uh, the administrative uh, end of the town, uh, because of these uh, unfilled positions is um, is a, a daunting issue right now. It's an issue that needs to be, in my opinion, addressed more mm-hmm. uh, more diligently. Everybody happy with the taxes there? Uh, Absolutely not. Yeah. I don't need you can. I don't know if there's any town that you can tell me that people are happy with their taxes. That's <laughs> right. But no, it, it's it's you know it's go, they've gone up in the last couple of years considerably, and and um, and, and we need to. You know, I, when I was previously on the board of selectmen, and I'll do it again this time if given the opportunity, my focus was on bringing in more revenue. Where we worked on, we had five solar facilities we got up online, two marijuana dispensaries. You know, we had uh, uh, renegotiated the power plant. There was a tremendous amount of uh, revenue that I was able to work with the board of selectmen then to bring in to the community, and I'd like to do that again. And uh, you're bringing in marijuana revenue? Um, well, we were. Not as much as you wanted? <coughs> we were. We were bringing in marijuana revenue. Uh, we had 5% deals, 3% um, um, community impact fees. And when I was the chairman, we negotiated an additional 2% for public safety. When I was off the board, they negotiated a third marijuana facility that only charged the 3%. Um, so by our agreements with the other two, we had to give back the 2% to the other two existing after I did warn the Board of Selectmen two years ago and, and not to do that. I stood in front of them meeting at, on Good and Welfare and said if this is the case we will lose 40% of our marijuana revenue and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you lost that dough. One more question. School committee member. Uh, how are you doing uh, with, uh, with the regional district? Uh, uh, is it under control? Are you funded enough? Uh, or any major problems there, or is that running smoothly? Uh, <clears throat> the district is running smoothly. We have a great superintendent. We have a very good school committee um, and you know, great staff. The you're on the school committee, right? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Great school committee. I meant great school committee. <laughs> uh, the, the great. Just wondering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 we have a full complement on the school committee. For many years, it was tough to to, um, to even get the, uh, you know, to get people to run for it. And, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, we have some prote potential um, renovations uh, coming up. Um, uh, which potentially may be a, a, a new school building, uh, you know, to the to the voters of both Blackstone and Millville. Um, we're right now we're under the uh, MSBA has approved us for to go to a feasibility study for uh, renovations to our high school, and so that is you know moving forward. We will see. It's up to the people on if they're going to want to fund that or not, but. So if you might need a new school, would you, how, how's your, uh, your municipal center? Uh, does that, is that in good shape uh, the, on St. Paul Street? I would, yes. Yeah. It's in good shape? It's in, it's, the building was built in 1978. If you, mm -hmm. That building is a, is a, is a well-constructed building, in Any, my opinion. Yeah. Dan Keefe, anything to say to our audience about Blackstone before we leave? Uh, no, it's just... Uh, recover it? We covered it. We covered mm -hmm. just about everything, yeah. Well, we uh, want to keep, uh, well, first of all, for our listeners in Blackstone, uh, I hope they uh, l learn a few things. Uh, we'd like to get more people involved in politics here in Woonsocket or in Blackstone. I mean, the more people that participate, uh, the better government uh, is. So please participate in your government. But uh, I think we share some mutual interests. And I want to thank you for uh, coming by, and uh, we'll uh, call on you again for a Blackstone update. All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good. Thank you. Dan Keefe, Selectman, Town of Blackstone. Let's go to Bellingham now for Grumpy's. So what's in your appetite? At Grumpy's in South Bellingham, their menu is so expansive, we can satisfy any taste. You may want to try a Grumpy Signature Burger. There are 12 to choose from. And if you like seafood, try our broiled seafood sampler of haddock, scallop, shrimp, lobster, and a stuffed quahog to go along. And you might want to check out a taste of Italy, too, from eggplant, parmesan, spaghetti and meatballs, and many other Italian choices. And you may want to try a a grumpy sirloin steak, filet mignon, or a Bourbon Street steak tip dinner. All char-broiled to your taste perfection. And we have a nightly menu special and also weekend specials. Kitchen open Friday and Saturday till midnight. Restaurant open seven days a week. It's time to make it a Grumpy's experience today. Hey, we're going to uh, go into uh, Rhode Island history in just a moment here on the Upfront program. Uh, but first of all, we want to thank uh, Scott McGee, real estate guy, for uh, being a sponsor of our graduation exercises last Friday. And uh, here is his message. Scott McGee from the Stearns McGee team is ready. Whether you're buying or selling a home or just curious about the local market conditions, Scott would love to offer his services to you. He knows the local community, both as an agent and a neighbor, and can help you guide through the nuances of the current real estate market. So let Scott work hard for you. Your real estate experience will be memorable and enjoyable. You can reach him directly at 401-639-2906. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome back to uh, the Upfront program for uh, this segment. And um, this is a little bit different uh, for our show, but um, I just uh, wanted to uh, tell you a little bit about how this uh, program came about. Look, first of all, let's. Uh, check in with our our uh, guest even though our listeners don't know what our guest does and uh, what he's going to talk to us about good morning guest how are you doing kevin i'm doing great how are you roger good nice to uh, ch chat with you first uh, for a benefit of our listeners um how did this all happen? So um, while I was sitting in my office a few months ago, I'm uh, scrolling around, uh, and uh, all of a sudden I come across uh, uh, some Rhode Island history. And I like to do different things on the program. And it was a, a podcast uh, series uh, produced by uh, this guy uh, that you, we have on the phone. His name is Kevin Padula. And, uh, and so I started listening to uh, some of the episodes and um, and I realized that uh, this was a, a gentleman who enjoyed Rhode Island, uh, I guess, um, uh, history in the in the founding uh, segments of Rhode Island from the time Roger Williams arrived here uh, up to the Revolutionary War. And and, um, and Kevin, um, you um, you do a podcast and uh, it's called uh, the Story of Rhode Island History and it has a bunch of series in it. 
you say uh, in in you're describing yourself. I'm not a historian. So if you're not a historian, uh, what are you and and how did you get into this uh, stuff? Yeah, so um, I'm simply just a man who is obsessed (laughs) with Rhode Island history. Uh, My wife can attest to that. I'm always telling her stories about uh, different aspects of Rhode Island history. So um, she got a little fed up with me always telling her the stories. (laughs) So I decided to, to try to tell them via podcast. Um, I'm not a historian, but luckily enough, I have a lot of great local historians and, and uh, American historians to, to lean on for information. Um, I simply see myself as, as a vessel, someone who can communicate that information in an engaging and informative way. So that's why it's always kind of told in a, a story format in each episode. As our listeners are listening to you, uh, uh, will you give a, a, a website that they can uh, bang into their computer and uh, maybe call you call up uh, your uh, your podcasts uh, while uh, while we're talking. Uh, how would they uh, how would they access one of these uh, uh, series episodes? Yeah, so they can start either by searching it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever they really listen to podcasts. It should be available there. Uh, there's also a website www.storyofrhodeisland.com. Uh, they can go there as well to see new episodes. And the website's really neat because it has additional information and, and some of the books that I lean on to put the episodes together. I'm going to let our listeners uh, hear a little bit of you uh, in a moment or two. Uh, but um, um, you're writing about Rhode Island history. Uh, are you from Rhode Island? Yeah, so I grew up in North Kingstown, um, then moved to Exeter uh, during uh, my college years. And then I went to the University of Rhode Island. And I lived in Rhode Island up until, like, 2015. Um, but for the past, like, few years, I've been working remote and traveling around the United States with my wife. But um, definitely considering moving back to, to Rhode Island at some point because I, I love the state. You're speaking to us from Boulder, Colorado today, I understand. You had to, um, you know, so it's uh, 20 of 9 now. What is it, uh, 27 uh, there? Yeah, yeah it's. It's uh, it's pretty early right now, and it's definitely a little chilly today. But my uh, my wife and I are like an old married couple. We go to bed early and wake up early, so uh, this is pretty standard for us. Kevin, um, you uh, you say here uh, Rhode Island history uh, brought to uh, brought to life, and I was listening to your um, to your narration, and I'm in the radio business, and I said, I think this guy has a pretty nice style, and. Uh, there are all kinds of different episodes, and um, you know a lot of people can um, they can pull this stuff up in their car too as they're going along. It's almost like um, uh, maybe that's a nice way of uh, of listening. Uh, you talk about Roger Williams. Uh, you talk about the the uh, establishment of uh, Providence. Uh, you talk about Newport. You, do you talk about anything about Northern Rhode Island, or uh, you know we 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 think of uh, the founder of this section of the state, William Blackstone. Do you ever cover him? Oh, yeah. I definitely cover William Blackstone. Um, I cover him, I think, in episode three, uh, the, some of the early part of that episode. And then towards the end, I, I have him having a conversation with Roger Williams, actually. But, yeah, William Blackstone is a really interesting figure. Um, definitely more of a loner, for sure. He was originally living in Boston. He was actually the first European living on the Shawmut Peninsula, um, which was what Boston was originally called, and then uh, sold his land in Boston when there's too many Puritans around there, which is now the Boston Commons. Um, and then he moved to, to Narragansett Territory, what we now know as Rhode Island, um, a year before Roger Williams. So him and Roger Williams were good friends, uh, vastly different um, religious beliefs. But Roger Williams was willing to listen to really anyone when it came to religion. Um, so, yeah, William Blackstone's a great figure. And then I cover, cover other parts in northern Rhode Island when discussing King Philip's War. Um, like, for example, there's a big fight um, up in um, uh, northern Rhode Island as well. That That's really interesting. And then there's uh, something related to it called Nine Men's Misery, which is a really interesting tale about King Philip's War. So, yeah, northern Rhode Island has some great history in it as well. So there was a time uh, in the time of William Blackstone and Roger Williams where we were 
really on um, on terms uh, with the uh, the Narragansetts. So we you know we weren't always at war uh, uh, with the indigenous uh, population. Um, there were all kinds of treaties and land transactions and so forth. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's really interesting actually because when. Um, you think about Roger Williams going to found Providence um, and then eventually the whole colony of Rhode Island. He's really walking into a world that is um, heavily inhabited by the Narragansett people, mostly on the western portion of Rhode Island and then in the, the islands in the bay, and then the Poconocet people more in eastern Rhode Island. But um, Roger Williams and the Narragansetts had a really good relationship. He was very close with their sachems, which are like their chiefs or their leaders. Um, Canonicus and Neontonomi were their names. Um, they had a wonderful relationship. Um, it's because of them that Roger Williams was able to found the town of Providence. Um, by the year like 1635 or 1640, there's only like 300 English colonists in Rhode Island, but there's still 20,000 Narragansett people in the land that now makes up Rhode Island. So it's really fascinating to see how he was moving into to their world at the time. Um, and unfortunately, that relationship comes to an abrupt end during King Philip's War during the latter half of the, the 17th century. But up until, um, up until then, they were definitely on good terms. I want to talk to you about um, accuracy. Uh, so if we listen to any of your podcasts and, and we're listening to your narration of... Uh, Rhode Island history, uh, did you uh, use reliable sources, or did you do interpretations, or did you uh, pretty much just stick to um, um, to reference books? Yeah, so I read far too many history books <laughs> about Rhode Island in the 17th century. Um, I really lost track. Um, I was fascinated to see how many history books there are about Rhode Island in the 17th century. Um, so, yeah, I definitely used a lot of different resources, secondary and then first res first-hand resources as well, to put together the information. Um, I really am very strict about making sure whatever information is in there is historically accurate, down to, like, the, the specific dates, um, the quotes as well. You'll hear me make uh, numerous specific quotes of what Roger Williams is known to say, say Ann Hutchinson, William Coddington. Um, there's even a really interesting scene in episode three where Roger Williams goes into a um, Narragansett War Council um, back where there's no English living around them at the time in southern Rhode Island. And he has a really engaging conversation with their sachems, Canonicus and Yachinomi, trying con to convince the Narragansett people not to side with the Pequot and to side with Massachusetts and the English instead. Um, that's an event that, that really took place so yeah, I'm pretty strict about making sure, even though it's told in a story format and more first person, that it's backed by um, a lot of factual information. I want to tell our listeners, uh, some of our listeners, hey, well, podcasts, uh, I don't know anything about podcasts. I can't. It's as easy as uh, just going online and, and, and pressing a button and, and you will hear uh, Kevin speak. We're going to hear him speak uh, from... From uh, one, from uh, I, I set up um, series uh, season one, episode one for a few few moments, but I I want people to know that they can um, they can listen to uh, listen to this series, and I, I think the guy does a a pretty good job of um, of narration. Uh, have you got much uh, response from uh, the? From the public, Did anybody uh, send you an email like I did, uh, saying uh, I enjoyed this. Are you there? Sorry, I think I lost you there yep. for a minute, Roger. But I think you were asking about response. Yeah, um, that's it. I was. Yeah, so far the res yep, so far the response has been um, very positive. Um, I I have about you know just about over twenty reviews on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts. Um, but I am always open to feedback. You know, it, it's hard for me as the person who's. Uh, writing it, narrating it, to really understand from someone's point of view who's hearing it from the first time. Um, so I'd love to hear feedback from people who are listening to it. Um, I have an email address that you can see on my website. It's kpadool.history at gmail.com. Um, always open to hearing about what I could do better, other topics I should discuss. 
um, how we can just make it as enjoyable as possible. But overall, yes, the feedback has been quite positive thus far. Now, Kevin specializes in pre-colonial, that is, uh, the arrival of Roger Williams and, and people like that, to the time of... Uh, of becoming a colony, and a little bit on the Revolutionary War. This is not about uh, the Civil War. Um, it's not about. Um, uh, it's not about uh, anything uh, going forward. It's 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 restricted to uh, that time period, which is a long time period to cover. Uh, let's let our listeners uh, listen a little bit uh, to you. Uh, uh, like I said, you have a, a pleasant voice, and um, this is taken right from the. Um, yeah, I can say from the podcast, but you, you know, it is a podcast, but you can get it on the internet very easy by pressing a button like this, and and up comes uh, Kevin for a few moments. For episode one, we'll be discussing the founder of Rhode Island, Roger Williams. But as we take our first look at Williams, he's still years away from founding Rhode Island. It's January of 1631, and Williams is a young, radical minister traveling aboard a ship named the Lion. Surrounding Williams are hundreds of Puritans who are fleeing England for the Puritan colony in America, known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Their already dangerous journey is made even more horrifying by the winter weather. Monstrous waves, nonstop winds, and icy rain are a daily occurrence. But the people on the line had no choice. They simply had to flee England. The religious persecution Williams and the Puritans dealt with in England was growing more dire every day. And it was only a matter of time before they ended up in jail. Although the Puritans' journey across the Atlantic is horrifying, they all have one thing on their mind to keep them hopeful. America. Because America means freedom. The freedom to worship God in a way that aligns with their Puritan beliefs. However, Roger Williams has a very different idea of freedom. One that is far more radical. Williams doesn't just want religious freedom for Puritans, but for everybody. He believes that everyone should be given the freedom to worship God however they please, even if it differs from what the Puritans believe. But Williams knows that the leaders of the Puritan movement, people he's grown extremely close to over the past several years, will consider his belief in religious freedom not only insane, but a threat to their colony. Roger Williams. Radical. <laughs> I guess you could say, right? Um, so, yeah. mon- well, you know, I, I hear the phrase monstrous waves. Uh, are those your words, or are you always taking uh, quotes from uh, historians, or, or is there a little bit of Kevin's uh, writing ability integrated into these uh, into these podcasts, uh, history podcasts? Yes, that those are my words, um, uh, and and my attempt to to be a good writer there. But what I will say is that um, so even that scene there, like I'll pull information about what we know from Roger Williams' journey across the line. Any journey across the Atlantic Ocean in the, the 17th century was pretty horrifying, and it was made even worse if you were making that journey in the winter, which Roger Williams was. Um, there was actually a, a young boy who died on the journey. So, yeah, that is my attempt to to make it uh, some interesting writing and, and more of a first-person uh, story format. So if uh, people uh, want to learn a little bit about uh, history, uh they can listen to these episodes. How long are they? Are they uh, an hour long or 22 minutes or, or they vary? Uh, so I try to keep them under about 28 minutes. Each episode is as short as 18 minutes and the longest one I think is about 27. Um, season one, there are nine episodes right now and that is mostly about, um, it's all about 17th century Rhode Island. And then season two will be more about the early 18th century and uh, the American Revolution. And eventually when I get to, to season three and so on, we'll go into the Civil War and more of the Gilded Age and everything. But, uh, yeah, they're all about 25 minutes long, you could say. Um, um, one of the things that I relate to is um, having uh, odd hobbies. And uh, so here I am I'm in the broadcasting business and... And I believe you're in the IT business uh, back in uh, Colorado. Is that what you do, uh, generally speaking? Uh, is that it? Yeah, I work for a tech company that's based out of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good to me. They allow me to work remote. So right now I'm living in Boulder, um, about to move to Montana in about a month and everything. But, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, more in like a customer success sales type role right. within uh, the technology industry. So that's how you make your living, and this is how I make my living. And so in our spare time, we do different things. My hobby is riding Amtrak trains. Uh, so um, uh, I, uh, I just love, you know, going across country uh, on their trains. Your hobby, however, is, uh, is history. So how did you, um, how did you develop this? Uh, well, you know, history goes from, from millions of years. So you've taken a narrow time period from, from the crossing uh, um, into, uh, into New England of people like Roger Williams uh, from, uh, from England. Uh, and then you've uh, brought it up to uh, becoming a colony, and 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 why did why did you choose that period? How did this all happen? Yeah, so I would say my love and like obsession of history comes from uh, definitely the the men in my family, bunch of history buffs. Um, my dad's really into World War II. My brother has probably read more history books than anyone in the world. Um, and then the reason I focused in on the 17th century for season one is because I really wanted to start with the beginning of Rhode Island and tell that in-depth story. A lot of people, when they hear Rhode Island history, they hear Roger Williams got banned from Massachusetts, and then he founded Providence, and then they skip to the American Revolution and the burning of the Gatsby, which is all interesting, but there's so much fascinating history in the early 17th century. I mean, at one point, Providence and then all of Rhode Island was literally the freest society in all of 17th century Western civilization. So in a, a nation that, you know, prides itself in freedom, a lot of that really started with a tiny little settlement um, around Narragansett Bay called called Providence and then into Rhode Island. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's important to tell that history and just how difficult it was for Roger Williams and the early Rhode Islanders to protect Rhode Island from being stolen and, and broken apart by the surrounding colonies. I've, um, I've listened to a number of your episodes, uh, and uh, they seem so smooth. Uh, uh, you must make mistakes sometime. What, did, you, did you do a lot of editing? And if you did, it was nice and clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did a lot of editing. Um, everyone's hearing the final product. What no one hears except for my wife are the you know, first seven, eight, or nine times I tried to re- tried to record the episode and failed. Um, my wife got to hear each and every single one of those episodes. Uh, they were not good. <laughs> I think the podcast as it stands right now is a, a pretty solid production. Uh, the earlier ones were definitely had a lot of room for improvement, um, which was made with, with the big help of my wife who had to, to suffer through those stories yet again. Um, but, yeah, I, I do try to pride myself in the final product being – Really high quality, making sure everything is factual, um, and the recording is solid, solid as well. Let's review for our listeners uh, what this uh, little segment of our program is all about. Our first segment had to do with current events in Blackstone, Massachusetts. Very, uh, um, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing we do regularly. This uh, segment a little bit uh, different. Although we've had uh, Dr. Pa- Patrick Conley uh, on on the program, uh, Kevin, uh, you know, and and he uh, discussed. Um, his, uh, his book, um, I think it's uh, Settlement to Statehood or something like that. Um, so we've talked about Rhode Island history. We talk about northern Rhode Island history. So I, I was um, uh, on the Internet a few, uh, few months ago, and, and I somehow came across um, uh, this, uh, this guy, Kevin Padula, and, and his um, podcast called, um, I guess it's um, History of Rhode Island. And I listened to it, and I liked it, and I thought I'd share it with our listeners. Uh, uh, and so this is a, you know, you don't get paid for this. This is a hobby, and you do a, such a nice job. And this is a great way. You know, if I were, uh, I used to be a teacher. If I were a teacher, I would actually use these 22-minute, 28-minute um, segments uh, for my students and then play that, play it for them. Uh, and then, um, and then we discuss, so you know what you were talking about in in that segment. And I, I wish some teachers would grab a hold of uh, these uh, these podcasts because they're great ways of uh, of getting kids interested in in um, in history, Rhode Island history in particular. Any comment? Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I, uh, you mentioned Patrick Conley there, incredible historian. He definitely contributed to the podcast as well. Um, 
and, and I, I agree. I think it would be wonderful to see the podcast being used in the school system. Um, and just to, to remind everyone, the, the podcast is called The Story of Rhode Island. Um, and uh, the reason why I, I label it The Story of Rhode Island is because I really try to tell it in a first-person um, story format. So you really feel like you're, you know, Roger Williams venturing into Rhode Island and founding Providence or that you're, you're William Coddington helping to found Newport and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone enjoys it and, honestly, always open to feedback from, from anyone who listens. When I uh, close out the show, I'm going to play a few uh, few paragraphs from Finding Unity. This is uh, season one, episode six. So, what do you uh, what do you mean by finding unity in that uh, in that series or in that episode? Yeah. So, um, in that episode, it's really interesting because the early Rhode Islanders love individual liberty, and a lot of them just came from another colony where their individual liberties were attacked. So now there's a point where they're living in different towns, Providence, Portsmouth, Newport, and Warwick. And Roger Williams is saying, hey, you know, we need a centralized government to ensure that our our towns stay together as a colony or we're going to collapse. I mean, there was a point in the mid-17th century where the Rhode Island colony split in two. Um, there were some people who were trying to remove their town from the colony. So Roger Williams is relentlessly fighting, and John Clark as well, to keep their colony united. Um, and finally, as you'll hear in the podcast, they find unity, but it's it's right before they're about to, to fall apart and splinter as a colony. Kevin, thank you for joining us. We'll play a few paragraphs from uh, Finding Unity, and uh, good day, and, uh, and stay, stay well in Colorado, okay? Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Roger. My pleasure. About this change, including one of the most powerful people in the entire colony. As we dive into this is part of uh, Kevin Padula's um, podcast on finding unity, the history of the state of Rhode Island. We interviewed him from Boulder, Colorado, this morning. A few more, uh, a few more lines from Kevin, and certainly hope uh, we've interested our listeners in maybe um, finding his um, his podcast and listening to it. You're going to learn a lot about Rhode Island history, I guarantee. Its flawless architecture, knowing that it speaks to his great financial achievements. Upon entering his mansion, his maid greets him warmly while handing him a letter. As Coddington reads the letter, his face quickly becomes filled with rage. The founder of Newport throws the letter on the floor, storms past his maid, and heads directly into his office. When the maid picks up the letter, she realizes that Coddington's just been informed about Roger Williams' charter. All right, and there we go. Uh, thank you, Kevin Fadula, for joining us. And I, uh, I hope our listeners found this segment of the Upfront program interesting. We tried to do something different, and we did it today. Good day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket.